What's up, everyone? It is episode 29 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Joe Serralo here with my man, as always, Mackenzie Rivers. We've got some title talk to get to, some great games. Mackenzie, how are you, my guy? I am doing fantastic. How are you, man? Doing well, doing well. Excited to jump into some title talk. My man, most teams have, at this point, seven or eight games left in their regular season, and you could not tell me a week from now who's going to have which seed in the Eastern Conference. I mean, that conference is so up for grabs. The Celtics are soaring. And in the West, I mean, things are definitely not solidified by any means, but you've got a better idea of how things are shaping up. So look into your crystal ball, McKenzie, that I know they handed out at freshman orientation at Yale. Tell me, my man, what teams are you betting on to get to the titles or to cut down the nets? Well, let me stop you right there with uh, with with your question. Are we sure the West isn't decided? Are we sure the West is wide open? Watching the Suns, the last eight games, they're 8-0. They're 7-1 and one against the spread, beating teams by 10 points better than the Vegas market has expected. And I'm starting to think, am I just, I mean, I'm starting to think with this, with the Suns and the Celtics, am I just making this too hard on myself? Is there just two teams that are absolutely dominating and then there are some, you know, interesting storylines. Uh, can the Nets get it together? Can the Sixers get it together? Meanwhile, you know, these are runs that you just don't see every season. I'll start with the Celtics. Last six games, 6-0. Six oh. This is not counting the Raptors game where they rested everybody in Toronto tonight. Although, the last time I checked, they were winning that game somehow with nobody playing except for Derek White. So, the last six games are 6-0. and oh. They've led every game by at least 24. All right, six games. So, Six games. It's it's like a 12-day sample. No, no great shakes. Last 28 games. So, okay, that's, that's more than a month. It's two months. 24-4, and four, beating teams by 16 points. So if you hadn't seen these last six games and just said, huh, I wonder if the Celtics will continue dominating in this exact same style, well, you didn't miss much. By the way, last 15 on the road. Love to see this when I'm thinking about playoff intentions. 13-2. and two, with an even better differential, beating teams by 17 points per game. Uh, that was some good uh, graphic work by Sean Grande, at Sean Grande BBP. Shout out to him. And, you know, I don't, maybe 30 seconds, I think we can, we can pat ourselves on the back, because there's only two teams that we talked about their title odds being advantageous. And I'll admit, this past weekend, I've got a lot more bullish on the Suns. I was always thinking, you know, man, they had 2-0 lead in the finals. You know, if they couldn't win it last year, well, I'm not thinking that anymore after I saw Devin Booker put up an easy 50 against the Nuggets on Friday, or 49, but he he wasn't gunning. It wasn't like a Kobe game where he took over from the beginning. He was just, I mean, I had looked up and he had 49, and the thing about that game was it was Chris Paul's return after a 15-game absence, and not only... You know, I often talk about how point guards coming back and kind of throw a monkey uh, a wrench into the into the works. It was it was like they'd played together for thirty days straight. Best backcourt in basketball. I like that as the season turns. So they were six to one when you recommended them. Now they're three to one. The Celtics I threw out in January thirty to one had value. They're now the fifth favorite at nine to one, and I would much sooner. And we talk about mechanical parlays often more valuable, but I would much sooner take the Celtics at nine to one than anybody in the vicinity. Warriors seven to one, no thanks. Sixers ten to one. The Heat, we'll talk about them later. They fall into seventh favorite at twelve to one. 
I think we're going to see a Suns-Celtics finals. Wow. I mean, that would be something. If you gave out the Celtics at 30-1, to I remember that episode vividly going, really? I mean, the value is absolutely there, no question about that. But realistically, is this something that can happen? And then Phoenix, I mean, look, they've always been up there among the favorites. I don't think they ever slipped really beneath the second or maybe third highest title odds behind the Warriors and Nets once upon a time. Phoenix has been has been the clear cut. But if we end up with my pick and your pick both making it, that would be something. I'm still on the Bucks train. I still think that the Bucks are the best team in the Eastern Conference. And at plus 650, I still think the value is good enough. But I'll tell you what, McKenzie. For me, the Milwaukee Bucks, who I've been on a rematch for a long time, Phoenix and Milwaukee, so I'm going to stick to my guns there. For me, that's the only team in the East I would bet ahead of the Celtics, even at 9-1. to Is it 30-1? to Absolutely not. Still tremendous value. I'd still be way more inclined to bet the uh, the Celtics at 9-1 to than I would be to take the Nets at plus 550. And then Phoenix at 3-1. to I mean, at this point, it's almost not worth betting from a value perspective, but when you look at how much better they are than every other opponent they face, I mean, maybe it still is worth betting even at three to one. You look at them, you mentioned the backcourt dynamic is through the roof. Booker on Friday night looked like he had cruise control on and route to almost a 50 point game. And Chris Paul, that's the key right there. Things have picked up exactly where they left off. I don't think he's had fewer than 13 assists in a game that he's been back for. Double double machine, just the absolute floor general, letting Devin Booker put the ball through the ring, do his thing. I mean, Phoenix is just a juggernaut right now. To clarify, back to what I said at the beginning of the show, when I said that things weren't set, I didn't mean that Phoenix wasn't going to come out of the West. I meant seeding. And, you know, there still are a lot of question marks between the three seed and the seven seed. A lot can still happen, absolutely. But, no, I'm with you 100%. The Phoenix Suns are coming out of the Western Conference. Last eight games, I mentioned 7-1 against the spread. Their defense has actually just played up to snuff. The Nuggets scored 130 off them. Zero points versus the Vegas market, if you're just looking at that difference between the opponent's team total and what they actually put up. On average, zero, no, nothing special the last eight games. How are they beating teams by 10 points per game? Because they're beating teams on offense by 10 points a game. I mean, on the ringer, they were talking about how they're clutch scoring 30 points per 100 possessions in the clutch. I mean, that's only like a couple hundred minutes in a season. Those numbers can get can get that extreme, but... It's not like we didn't anticipate this. Chris Paul and the Suns last year were amazingly clutch. And I'm happy for him. It really, it took a lot of uh, changing his game, tempering his expectations, thinking about where he fits in, in my opinion. I mean, maybe Chris Paul will tell you, nope, exactly the same game plan I had since day one. But I've seen a lot of growth in him, a guy that I didn't think was underrated for a long time. I thought he was properly rated or maybe even overrated back in the Clipper days. But now I think he's clearly one of the great guards of all time, and he's better now like fine wine, I think, than he's ever been. Least turnovers per game, most assists per game. You can't get much more efficient than that as you age. Yeah, Chris Paul's like the bottle of 2018 Chianti I just had with dinner, man. Just getting better year after year. He, he's been He's been phenomenal. You know, last year, he was an MVP candidate. This year, no one's talked about him. And of course, you know, missing time with the injury probably takes away from the argument. But pound for pound, it's funny. I talk about John Morant and how he deserved more MVP recognition. Well, right now, as we speak, the Grizzlies are steamrolling the Warriors without Ja, and they're on their way to being, what, 16-2, and 17-2 without him? Kind of defeats the whole argument I make of valuable player. Chris Paul truly <laughs> is as valuable in this league as anyone to the Phoenix Suns has been for the past two years. 
and just being able to watch them. You know, don't forget, this didn't start last year. This started in the bubble. They went 8-0 and in the bubble. And to watch them really, you know, it, people thought it was probably a flash in the pan. They stunk, but they showed up in the bubble and, you know, whatever. They played well, almost played themselves into a playoff spot. To watch them now, that was no fluke. And, and we know this now. It's been two full years later. The Phoenix Suns are, they're just... They're the perfect basketball team. I mean, it's, it's tough to say that, but you watch them and night in, night out, it's like this team's never going to come back down to earth. It doesn't matter if they're playing Milwaukee or Golden State or LeBron or Kevin Durant. The Phoenix Suns are truly from start to finish this season without any variating, deviating away from it. They are the best team in basketball and no one's been close. I, I mean, how, how many games up are they on the, the next closest team? 10 games. They've got nine on the Grizzlies, uh, I believe. Anyone in the East, I mean, they've got like 14 in the loss column. It's not even close, McKenzie. Shout out to Shane Young, great NBA writer, uh, at Shane Young on Twitter. He had this stat that kind of surmised it pretty well. The Suns have a better road record at 30-6 and than any NBA team has this season at home. Scary stuff. What I like about them, too, I'll just throw this in. All their players are extremely traditional. They have the most stereotypical Kobe generation two guard. They have a small forward that's kind of like Sean Marion, stays quiet, gets, you know, eight rebounds and seven assists and three steals, and he stays over there and does his thing as, as, as the off, uh, as the swing man. And then Chris Paul, obviously, Isaiah Thomas, prototype with a, with a better shot. Maybe not the tenacity of the Chicago man Isaiah Thomas had. He was, he's one of the greats <laughs> of all time. And then they have DeAndre Ayton, you know, stereotypical number one overall in the draft, can't miss, nice jumper, smooth, and is actually picking it up on defense. So it's going to be fun to watch them for four rounds, uh, hopefully in a game seven too. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Hey, let's stay out west. We got to do an L.A. check. Uh, We've had some disappointing basketball, to say the least, out in L.A., but, you know, it's going to be my home in about two, three weeks, so we might as well well work our way there uh, a little ahead of schedule. The Lakers are only one game up on the San Antonio Spurs for the 11th seed in the West, which means forget, you know, solidifying a top six seed, right? That's been a thing of the past for a while. This means that the Lakers might not even get a chance, McKenzie, to work their way into that play-in round. They might miss it altogether if they fall down to 11th or worse. How likely do you see this? For the first time all season, NBA 538 has the Lakers projected outside of the top 10. Why is that? They're currently 10th. Well, they have the second hardest strength of schedule remaining. And oh, by the way, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, doubtful for one of those difficult games at the Mavericks tomorrow. LeBron James scored 39 points against the Pelicans. And he defied physics, apparently, because he said, and I quote, I mean, I have no idea how I finished that game. He had rolled his ankle. They don't, they're not going to have LeBron James, I don't think, for many of the remaining schedule. RJ, always the, uh, not conspiracy theorist, but um, he'll throw out some ideas. And then, you know, if you're, if you're like me and, and you're looking to, uh, uh, sometimes you agree. I'll just say that. And uh, LeBron James is going to win the scoring title this year because he is three games away from that magical 58 to get to that number to get to the minimum number of games. And he's currently scoring 30 points per game. Nobody else is doing that. And now he says his ankle that he rolled was, was the most terrific injury in the, in the history of time. 
He said, man, watching that game, I don't know how I how I possibly played through it. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible right now. We're unfortunately about to hop on a flight, so just got to get treatment around the clock and see what happens day to day. I'm I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. The Lakers have the 29th rated defense the last month. They don't really care about this season, but we're all supposed to have a parade for this for the scoring title. I'll do better than that. I'll make you some money because the Lakers are 12-point dogs tomorrow. Sneaky fact, they actually play hard in games when LeBron doesn't play because more people get, you know, tested. Coach Vogel says, you know, I'm actually – I'm actually going to uh, evaluate your defense in this game. <laughs> That's actually going to happen in this particular contest. And then, you know, under that pressure, they step up. The Lakers haven't lost. The Lakers have played nine games without LeBron since November. Decent sample size. They've lost by more than 10 once. That includes games at Milwaukee, home versus Philly, at Philly. So they've actually shown up in these games. I think 12 for a team in the Mavericks that is more defensive oriented, doesn't blow a lot of teams out, a lot of good teams out, which the Lakers still have some decent talent when they show up on a night-to-night, which is which is variable. But yeah, I like that. That's a bonus bet for me. Lakers plus 12 Tuesday at the Mavericks. Yeah, you know, that was a, I like that bonus bet because that was a line that I looked at and said, well, look, I mean, you look at the standings, you look at the trends and the Lakers, the way that they've been fading, the Mavericks should be able to beat the Lakers by 15, 20 points. But then you look at the way that the Mavericks win games. And even though they've been covering at a pretty good rate this season, they've had more, I would say, you know, one, two, three point spreads than most other teams that I can think of offhand. Dallas has had a lot of tight spreads. And so they've had a lot of games where when they win, they also cover, but they don't win in blowout fashion too often. Look at the last time these two teams played. That was the game uh, where, you know, I hit them minus three and a half at the open. Oh yeah. They closed at minus five and a half. They won by five. Dallas led by 25 in that game. And they won by five. They don't win a lot of blowouts. And that Lakers team was probably healthier than the one they're going to see tomorrow. So I, uh, I I don't I don't hate that call. I really like that bonus bet. Lakers plus 12. I don't think they have a shot to win. But uh, but I think that they keep it close. Now let's look at the other team that shares Crypto Arena or whatever the hell it's called. The LA Clippers seem pretty much locked into that eight seed. Way too far behind Minnesota for seven. And I think they've got about a four game lead on the Pelicans. So they should be safe in the eight seed despite losing five in a row. They are set to get Paul George back. McKenzie, it seems like this team's ceiling, if they even make the final eight of the Western Conference, is that eight seed. Can they do a thing with Paul George back? I mean, does it make sense for Paul George to come back for seven, eight games and then probably a quick sweep at the hands of uh, Phoenix in the playoffs? Well, I mean that you could get you could get out of you could get out of the one eight eight matchup. I mean, I, uh, wait. So you're saying they'd have to win the seven the seven eight game on the road to get the seven. And the Timberwolves the Timberwolves are pretty tough. Well, here's why they should anyway because there's a rumbling, there's there's a distant whisper. Don't say it. That Kawhi Leonard, the great Finals MVP of the 2019 title winning Toronto Raptors, uh, he's not dead. He's not dead, and there's a long time between now and April and May, and he's kind of on that timeline where if he was if he was willing to, and who knows, I think he loves basketball. I'm not sure uh, that he's going to play if, if if it you know if it, if it takes a risk to him, and I wouldn't blame him for that. Uh, but 
I think it's possible. And there's a very kind of similar but different corollary, which is the Nets. The very first year that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were together. And I'll, I'll stick to this till I die. When you have two months, you go down to a bubble and a chance to win an NBA title, you do that. I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know what you're resting for. If anything, it's kind of ideal. Talk about Chris Paul taking a couple of weeks off. It's kind of ideal with the Lakers and Anthony Davis showing up in perfect shape right before the playoffs. Kawhi Leonard has not stayed healthy through any NBA seasons ever. I mean, he's won a championship, but he didn't play all those games. He played about 60 that year. If he can just stay healthy for two months, it might be worth his while. You know, to your point, yeah, Kawhi Leonard is the uh, load management poster boy, right? I I mean, you think load management and and you think some usually older vets, but Kawhi has been on the load management thing, I'm pretty sure, since he was back at San Diego State. Uh, If he comes back, though, and you have all of a sudden Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for that 7-8 game against Minnesota, I'm intrigued because I'm intrigued to see how John Morant and the Grizzlies would handle a first-round date with some seasoned veterans like Kawhi and Paul George. I don't care what their regular season record is, what their seeding is. If those two guys are back, if they are together, if they are healthy, I'm intrigued. I still don't think that they do anything against Phoenix. I, I think that, you know, their ceiling is a six-game series against Phoenix, and I think that would even surprise me. I'm frankly, you know, even with Kawhi, even with Paul George, I'd expect that that series to go five. I think the Suns still make quick work of them. I, I think I would agree with you. I mean, I was kind of just dreaming of any other matchup because that is a machine, that is a buzzsaw. That if you're not uh, rolling, and they wouldn't be without any without any reps, uh, you're not you're not beating that team. But here's how important Kawhi Leonard is. When these odds came out in July, the Clippers were ten to one fifth favorites. By the time the season started, they were twenty to one because Kawhi wasn't supposed to play. Now they're sixty to one, with the expectation that Paul George probably plays. Kawhi Leonard probably doesn't. Everything else about that team, if anything, some of their younger players have actually been clicking. They actually look pretty decent. So yeah, that's he's he's you know one one of five guys that move that move the needle. You know, six points in an NBA game. Yeah, Kawhi, and it's because of his two way presence. You know, it's not like he's going to do it offensively. He's not like Booker out there putting up an easy forty nine. It's because of his two way presence. Because everyone would pay good money to see a first round matchup where Kawhi is guarding Booker every game. That's what the people want to see. Mackenzie, let's get into a couple games here. We're starting off Wednesday night, a battle for the top seed in the East. The Miami Heat head up to TD Garden to take on the Celtics. Now it looks like the Heat are going to have first place regained. The Celtics currently, and we'll have an update shortly. By the time you listen to this, you all already know what happened, but the Celtics currently down two to the Raptors with 14 seconds left in overtime. No Robert Williams, no Jalen Brown, no Jason Tatum. Absolutely wild that the Celtics as eight and a half point dogs are even in overtime and only down by two. But this will be to move back into a tie, which of course the Celtics would have the tiebreaker. They currently have the tiebreaker. Mackenzie, what kind of line are you projecting for this matchup Wednesday night? Very curious, very curious because I've been down ticking the heat, you know, lost four in a row, ATS. And I've been trying to keep up with how the Celtics keep overperforming. That said, a big part of, and we've been talking about this on this podcast since January, a big part of their defensive turnaround, and they've been elite defensively, number one year to date, is that big man Robert Williams, Time Lord, who today uh, the team fears a, a torn meniscus. It could be 
until the playoffs if he does return this season. Does that throw? Uh, does that does that match? match, match what's that expression? <laughs> throw a monkey wrench into the. It, <laughs> throw I don't the wrench know what, in your plans. Yes, you know what I mean. You know, messes <laughs> stops the gears and such. Uh, or, and this is where I tend to lean. Uh, is it a small hiccup because the defense has been elite when Robert Williams has been on the court and when he's not been on the court, but the offense has been number one the last 30 days. I think that's flying completely under the radar, even better than the Phoenix Suns. So it's an inter- it's an interesting. I make it three and a half currently just u- using my numbers. I wouldn't be surprised if it got bet up quickly. That's the general direction I tend I think it was going to go each of these teams has been a home six and a half point favorite this year in November Boston was struggling they just had a, a players only meeting there were six and a half point dogs in Miami and Miami was surging by this time in February Boston was doing well enough to actually reverse that a 13 point line move Insane. in Boston they were a six and a half point favorite I tend to think that's the closer to reality especially with the, the loud losses and the, the heat probably are just turned it around today with the win against the Kings. But I don't think the market appreciates Robert Williams as much as they appreciate momentum. That's why I think even though power ratings wise is around three and a half, I think this will open higher and I'm not sure that's going to keep me off the Celtics here. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, if it's three and a half, I'm jumping on the Celtics minus the points. You know, you look at the heat in their last seven going into tonight's game against Sacramento. They were two and five straight up. You mentioned losers of four in a row. That was just straight up losers of seven in a row against the spread. McKenzie, this Sacramento game was the Heat's third win in their last eight, but their first cover in their last eight. And then Boston, on the other hand, in this last 25 game stretch going into the Raptors game, 22 and three straight up, 15, nine and one against the spread. It looks like that straight up number is going to fall to 22 and four, but that against the spread number, going to improve to 16, 9, and 1, because like I said, they were 8.5-point dogs. I mean, the Celtics, this is just such a favorable matchup for them. Obviously, you know, Robert Williams, you're losing a double-double a game, a two-way presence. You're losing a lot, right? And I don't know who's going to step up and stop Bam Adebayo, but the way the Celtics have been going lately, they still may be just fine. Because you look at those two games you mentioned, the swing in the line, how the Heat were favored by six and a half, and then the Celtics were favored by six and a half. How about what happened in those games? The Celtics, 2-0 and against the Heat this year with, you said it, blowouts, an average margin of victory of 23 and a half points per win. 23 and a half points, their average margin of victory in those two games against Miami. A 30-point win, a 17-point win. I mean, yeah, Celtics minus three and a half sounds juicy as hell, man. If it's minus five, minus five and a half, I'm still hitting it. I'm with you, man. It is my best bet. I wanted to talk. Yeah. It, I wanted to talk, talk through it because it's it's one of those situations where I'm like, it's the Fezzik would be shaking his head at me. Like you could have got this at X number, and now this team has to be overrated. They keep winning, especially in the NBA. I I mean, I think in in football there's more public money, but in the NBA, I think you can pick a team like you have with the Grizzlies and ride them pretty successfully. I don't think just because Miami's on a losing streak, that they can somehow turn it around on, on, on a dime. I know they'll be just as motivated. I know it's a big game for them, but I don't think here 
they're, they're any match. And Boston, think about this. They finally climbed up to the mountaintop to tie the heat. They know the schedule very well. They rest everybody in the second night of a back-to-back in Toronto, barely losing overtime. Why did they do that? Because they have had this game circled as well. The Heat 27th defense the last two weeks. The Celtics number one offense, not only the last two weeks, but the last month. That is my best bet. I think up to five and a half will be my buy price, but I'm hoping, especially with the Robert Williams injury, that the market will say, hey, that's minus one and a half, and then poof, FanDuel or DraftKings will open it up at three and a half, and then I will pounce with a bigger bet. But if it's at five and a half, it will be a decent bet as well. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And look, I'm going to show the Heat no love. I'm pissed at the Miami Heat. My last best bet, Heat to end the snide and cover, beat the Knicks, cover minus five. It was six and a half on the show and ended up opening at minus five, hit it at open. They were up 17 in the fourth quarter. I have had two bad break best bets in a row. I need to get on the right track. We'll get to my best bet, but we've got one more game to get to. It's the Milwaukee Bucks at the Philadelphia 76ers. Could very well, I know we're giving the Celtics a lot of love tonight, could very well be a preview of the Eastern Conference Finals or at least a hell of a second round matchup. And the Sixers, depending on where you look, are one and a half to two point favorites. So this is twofold because these are two teams that are really good and you could have reasonable reason to bet either one. If you like the Sixers, try to find it at one and a half. I believe it's FanDuel has them one and a half. If you like the Bucks, look at DraftKings where they're plus two or you might get better money line odds plus 105 compared to even. Shop around your weekly or, you know, episodely reminder. But Mackenzie, how do you see this one playing out? First of all, can I backtrack? And I, I have given a lot of compliments to Boston. Can I, can I throw some shade at Miami to balance things out? Absolutely. You mentioned against good teams, they haven't had a strong performance in a while. Looking at this, the Heat haven't beaten a good team since March 5th, when they beat the Sixers without James Harden. And before that, you got to go back to February 12th, when they beat the Nets without Kevin Durant. There might have been uh, you know, problems going on in Miami uh, more than we had anticipated. Now, back to this game. The Philadelphia 76ers, I have as minus one and a half point favorites at home. So I always say, hey, great, I'm, I'm doing my job. Other people are seeing it similar to me. And then I'm like, okay, well, great. How am I supposed to make money off of this? So I think it's a coin flip game. I think Philadelphia needs it more. I think Milwaukee's the better team, and the line reflects that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it is a coin flip. I mean, this is a game, if these two teams see each other in the playoffs, it's going seven, you know? You look at how they've fared in March. And in the month of March, the Bucks are 9-3 and three straight up, 8-4 and four against the number. The Sixers are nine and five straight up. They've played two more games, same amount of wins, two more L's, but against the number only five, eight, and one. At home, the Philadelphia 76ers are 11 and 17 against the spread as a home favorite. That 39% cover mark is tied with the Lakers for the second worst cover percentage in basketball as a home favorite. Only the Nets are worse. <laughs> wow, the, big, the, the three big markets all have uh, a lot of booze in those cities. Yeah. Yeah, and at home uh, against the spread, not, you know, just as a home favorite, at home in general, Sixers 15 and 22, slightly better, up from 39% to 40.5%, still bottom five, bottom six in the NBA at home against the spread. Milwaukee, really not a great cover team this season, but they cover 53% of the time on the road and over 75% of the time when they win. Obviously, in this one, they're underdogs. If they win, they're going to cover. 
I'm going Milwaukee money line as a bonus bet here. Uh, and, you know, I said it before, DraftKings is better if you're looking to bet the Bucks. FanDuel right now if you're looking to bet the Sixers. But I think the Bucks win this game. Uh, you know, this will be the tiebreaker. Each team has won once in their two matchups so far this year. I'm going Bucks on the road. You know, it's a, it's a get-right game to me. Because I don't know how they got embarrassed by Memphis with, I mean, I know that they didn't have Holiday, but the Grizzlies just keep riding, keep being untouchable without John Morant. I don't know how the Bucks lost that game to Memphis and got embarrassed in doing so. It's a get-right game for them. I think that they're going to go as road dogs. They're going to win this one outright. I lean that way as well. I feel like Joel Embiid somehow, looking at the MVP odds, he was minus 130 a week ago, and they lost to the Suns and didn't do anything special, and now he's minus 200. I feel like Giannis is, is going to be a little more a little pissed that he's not – I mean, he's scoring more points. He's better on defense. He's faster. What else has he got to do? Uh, six and four all time versus Joel Embiid and 33 points per game. Monster. I feel like he gets up for this game. And that would be uh, his points over, his PRA over, points, rebounds, and assists. Wow. 14 rebounds per game, seven assists, and 33 points in his career versus Joel Embiid. That's insane. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely yeah, a play that, that's insane. At. That's a prop I love. Geez, 33, 14, 7. That's what, 53 and a half, and you're still taking the over. You're gonna get a way better number than that. And uh I think it's definitely one looking at Mackenzie. It is almost my bedtime here on the East Coast. It's 1020 on this Monday <laughs> night. Does that mean it's time to get to my best bet? Absolutely, sir. I'll just say for a, a buy price on that points, rebounds, and assists, 49 and a half was it set at last time. Probably going to throw out the same number, but enough of these bonus bets. Let's get to the best of the best here. What do you got for us, Joe? Let's do it. Let's get back into the wing column after this two-game snide. The Brooklyn Nets, McKenzie, are 16-20 and 20 at home straight up. And no, you didn't hear that wrong. That's not their cover record at home. That is their straight-up record at home, 16-20. and 20. At home against the spread, they are a league-worst 8-27 and one that is lower than a 23% cover rate. Now the Nets have won by double digits at home just five times all season and just twice since November 18th. Since the All-Star break, the Detroit Pistons are 13-2-2 against the spread. As a road dog this season, and they've been dogs in all of their road games, the Pistons cover 53% of the time. In fact, Detroit has not failed to cover on the road since Valentine's Day, and they haven't lost by double digits on the road since February 8th. We're just shy of two months. My best bet, McKenzie, it's the bad boy Pistons. They are 13-point dogs at Brooklyn Tuesday night. I'm taking the Pistons plus 13. The Nets do not blow teams out in the Barkley Center. Lock it in, Detroit plus 13. Pistons have been a very, have a sharp been a sharp guy, wise guy, darling since the All Star break. Wow, I didn't realize they gotten up to thirteen and two. You you feel like uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know because part of me says Kyrie. This is second game. They lost their first game, but that's that's to win. You walk out of that building with a win and you're doing fine. Uh, it's not like the Pistons are any kind of marquee victory that you want to make a statement. So makes sense to me. Don't mind it at all. They're tough. They're pesky. The Nets could win this game by 10. Still would be a Pistons cover. 
I don't know. Something you know. I know that Some, sometimes it's 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 good to have those ugly bets. Like I gave out Lakers plus twelve. They're going to be down fourteen in the second quarter. It happens all the time. But there's a reason why they juice these spreads up because most people are trying to avoid that feeling of get, of getting of losing of of having your team you know with frowns on their faces. Probably more. They probably over account for trying to avoid that. Sometimes the ugly bets often get there. Yeah, I mean, look, the Heat were up 17 the other night in the fourth quarter. They lost the game by eight, right? Uh, we're talking a 25, or, or I'm sorry, it was a 23-point swing uh, by the end of things. So they lost by six. Uh, I mean, things happen in the NBA. I always say, look, if a team's up by 20 in the second quarter, that means that they're going to lose. <laughs> Do I think the Nets will be up 20 at some point in this game? I absolutely think so. Do I think the Pistons will ultimately cover in this one? I absolutely think so. I, I know that Kyrie has not played at the Barkley Center. You know, this season up until the past week, I get that. I get that they're a different team when he's on the floor. I think at some point, Kyrie or not, it becomes psychological. The Nets, forget covering. They have a losing record at home. At some point, it becomes psychological, Kyrie or not. And even if they win, I don't think they're going to win in a flashy, pretty, total blowout way. Makes sense to me. There you have it. There you have it. Celtics minus the points. That's McKenzie's best bet up to five and a half, sir. Yes. And the Pistons plus 13 if you're riding on the J train. That does it for episode 29 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview with myself, Joe Serralo, and my man, Mackenzie Rivers. Guys, go make some money. On us. (laughs) 